1: chapter 5 proverbs chapter 5 we're still continuing our study in wisdom we want to be where the lord wants us and if he wants us in proverbs and he wants us learning wisdom then let us learn in wisdom and let us grow and so last week was one of those that just deals with a pretty heavy subject so proverbs chapter 5 We concentrated on the paragraph that began in verse three about the lips of a strange woman dropping as honeycomb and, and her, and her mouth being smoother than oil. And there was some humor in this because you can tell exactly what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about, uh, weird women. He was talking about women that are untrustworthy and enticing. And in the greater context that we're going to come into in the back part, in the back part of this chapter, uh, it takes on it takes on an even greater scope of what he's talking about. And really, tonight, what we're going to be looking at is being satisfied with what you have and not wanting what someone else has. And I've got to be a little bit delicate with this because some of the language is bold. uh, And I don't mean the, the font, okay? I'm talking about the language that he uses. Some of the language is a little bit bold. Some of it is suggestive, but it is still... Careful so as not to be explicit. But it's the Word of God. Are we going to be afraid of the Word of God? Are we going to let our modesty be shocked by the Word of God? Certainly not. So it's here. Let's plow on through it. Let's learn and let's grow. But as a quick review, because it ties directly into what we're going to be talking about, uh, verse 3 says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as in an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell, lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. This is describing a type of woman. It's a type of woman that is, if you were to put a label on her, you would call her trouble. Trouble. You would also call, or, or there's a there's a, a phrase I used to use many years ago when I was a bachelor preacher. I used to call a woman like this hellbait. Hellbait, because they get you in their grip. It is very hard to break loose from them. And it will say, well, it's easy. I just walk away. All right. Well, that's the physical part's it's easy. It's the psychological and the emotional part's very, very difficult. And I know we talked at some length about, you know, first crushes and all of that and the intensity of feelings and so on. But that's why, uh, that's why this is such a trap that it is. He said, okay, the lips of a strange woman are as honeycomb. they are very sweet. Her mouth is smoother than oil. She loses, uses words that are very, very enticing. And she knows how to do it. She knows what attracts a man. She's good at what she does. You remember, some of you may remember many years ago, it was an old rock and roll song back in the 80s about, there's an old ZZ Top song, wasn't it? She got legs. Some of you remember that song? And she knows how to use them. This is the woman that knows how to use what she has, including the words of her mouth. But in verse 5 explains what the end result of being taken by such a person is. says her feet go down to death. Actually, in verse four, it begins, Her end is bitter as wormwood, the meaning the end of her path or the end of that road is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. And meaning she'll twist you all up in the game, I think, as the language goes, and you don't even know which end is up or how to get free. Her ways are movable. And just when you think you've got her figured out how to refute her or overcome her in, a, in logic or in a reason, or in reason, then she'll change her position on something and she'll keep you confused. If you've ever dated a woman, you know that these women are very real. Now, not all of them are like that. This isn't a wholesale injunction against women or condemnation of women, just this particular kind. And so he goes on and says to hear me, therefore, O ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth, remove thy way far from her, remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou be given, lest thou give thine honor unto others and the year, and thy years unto the cruel. And in the next few verses, he describes the end result of being taken by a person by this, being taken emotionally, being taken uh, by a person like this is that the best years of your life will be spent in captivity to something that is hard, hard, hard to break away from. And maybe you've known someone that got taken by someone like this. I'm thinking of a man right now who, who once walked the path of life, was once dedicated, he was once very much a soldier in the army of the Lord, so to speak, and a, a brave soldier of the cross. And, but things happened and he made some bad decisions and found himself tangled up with people like this. And where is he to this day? Well, I don't know if he's with any of them, but neither is he with us. Neither is he with us. And in the end, now he's right around my age, so he's probably mid-40s, maybe late 40s. I think he was almost exactly my age. Uh, He's getting to the age where he's starting to look back and take some stock on his life. And I'm wondering if these thoughts are already starting to pass through his mind that strangers have become filled with my wealth, as he says here in verse 10, and my labors have been in the houses of a stranger. And in the last he'll end up mourning when he's come to old age And he's come to the twilight of his life, wondering, or filled with regrets and wondering what would have happened if I had stayed faithful and kept myself, if I had kept my heart with all diligence. Because last week's teaching stemmed from that. That was at the tail end of chapter 4. Keep thy heart with all diligence, because out of it are the issues of life. And that led into this teaching, which will lead into what comes after that. So now let's jump into the new stuff. Verse 15, this is the new stuff. And it sounds like, we'll read it here in just a second, it sounds like an abrupt change in subject, but it's not. He says, drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the streets, let them be thine own, and not a stranger's with thee. Let the fountain let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe let her breasts satisfy thee at all times this is what i was talking about so don't be shocked he said it right here it's there what are you going to do with it okay he said let them satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. All right, let's stop right there and let's back up to the beginning of this. So what on earth is he talking about? Cisterns and fountains and rivers of waters in the streets and all of that, running waters. What is he talking about here? Well use a little bit of imagination okay and allow for the fact that Solomon is using very delicate language and consider also that he's just finished talking about the traps and the temptations of an untrustworthy and an unvirtuous woman with respect to men you can take the same teaching for women an untrustworthy and an un- an unvirtuous man right a cad i think is a word that was used in the victorian era uh, i don't really there's probably other words for that now but He's just finished talking about being snared by someone like this, and then he approaches the end of this chapter by talking about being satisfied with the wife that you have. All right, well, we got some singletons in here. We also got some married folks in here. Well, which is better? That's a loaded question. Is it better to be single? Or is it better to be married? Well, that depends. First of all, it depends on you, and it also depends on is it better in the physical or is it better in the spiritual? So, uh oh, so you've walked into a minefield. Be careful. Well, no, not really. It's not a minefield. What I like to do and what I try to do is to strip away any superiority complex of either group towards the other. They're two very different ways of living being single and being married. And they are a trade off, meaning that one group has a certain set of advantages. There's advantages that the single have over the married, but there are advantages that the married have over the single. It all depends. And each, either side, each side has its own disadvantages. And this all ties in. We'll get, we'll get there. Bear with us, okay? So which is better? Well, if you're talking about in the spiritual, if you have no particular necessity, as Paul talked about it, it's better to be single because you're less distracted and your time is less divided. That's not being patronizing. That's the word of God. And Paul spoke from experience because he had been a Pharisee. And while the Bible does not talk about him being married, it is understood historically that it was a requirement of Pharisees that they be married men. And if you look at the cultures that have descended from the culture of the Pharisees, okay, you look at the ultra-Orthodox Jews and the Hasidic Jews and those, the groups that are on that side of the fence as far as Judaism, the black hat Jews, you could basically call them that. They are, they are so pro-marriage that if you are a single parent, you will find your child being taken by a family member and raised until you find another spouse. So it's very possible, it's very probable that Paul was a married man and so was able to speak from experience on both sides of the fence. He has been married and he had been single. And we presume that he was single during the time of his ministry. We don't know what happened. And we're not going to draw any, we're not going to surmise necessarily concerning how that is. So... He says that there's a lot of advantages, spiritually speaking, as a believer, there's advantages to staying single. But now he says if you can't contain, marry, because it's better to marry than to burn. So you have to weigh that also. Some people have a need and necessity. Some people don't. Some people can take it or leave it. Some people are like, forget this single stuff. This is for the birds. I want a wife or I want a husband. Well, pray. Pray and reach out to somebody. You might get them saved. but Be careful how you do that. We're bringing all of that up because of the context of his teaching. In verses 3 through 14, he's talking about avoiding, avoiding the unvirtuous woman and the temptation, the temptation for that. Then he starts talking about cisterns and fountains. It's poetic language. It all ties into the virtues of marriage and being satisfied with who you're married to and not taking interest in some other woman, whether they're someone else's wife, someone else's husband, in that case it would be some other man, or whether it be someone else who's single. The point is, someone other than your wife or your husband. Let's read it again. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, not somebody else's. And running waters out of thine own well. What's he saying? Satisfy your needs with the person you have. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be thine own and not a stranger's with thee. Don't share your spouse with someone else. That's weird, man? Really? That's twisted stuff. I mean, that goes beyond even polygamy and polygamy, while God never expressly forbade it there and it forbade it in the Old Testament, and he tolerated it in the Old Testament. It wasn't something he necessarily liked, but he put up with it for whatever reasons. We might surmise or we may just leave that alone. This goes beyond that. It's like, well, this guy's got two wives. That's, that's odd. Okay, well, yes, it's odd. But, but even, even polygamists weren't practicing wife swapping, right? That is some... That's some real uncleanness going on there. That is some serious sexual immorality. You're not just adulterating one marriage. You're adulterating another one. That's really bad stuff. We don't want to go there. We don't ever want to go there. Why are you bothering to teach this? None of us would ever do that. Well, because it's in the word and it's there. We need to know it. We need to know it. We need to understand it. He said, let thy fountains be blessed. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind. What's a hind? I think it's an archaic word. It refers to a deer, doesn't it? It's a kind of a deer. Let her be as the loving hind of the pleasant roe. Let her, we already talked about that, satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her, with her love. Let's emphasize that. Be thou ravished always with her love somebody else's and even ask the question in the very next verse and why wilt thou my son be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger well I know why we know why if you look into the psychology of it why some people are unfaithful and So there's, there's many reasons why but one of the reasons many potential reasons why but one of the reasons why is the novelty of someone who's new right Especially if you've been married to someone for a while and maybe things are getting a little stale. Maybe they're getting a little boring. Maybe this is more appropriate as far as the details of this might be more appropriate in a marriage class or something like that. And we did talk about this in School of Virtue last year when we taught on marriage, didn't we? Well, sometimes people get tired of the person that they have, and so they start getting wandering eyes. There's other expressions for that, like the seven-year itch, things like that that lend kind of a humorous angle to it, but rest assured, there's nothing funny about it. Wandering in an unfaithful heart, a restless heart, in that, in that respect, it's really, a lot of times, it's restless flesh. And so, well, so what if things have gotten dull? We'll spice them up a little bit, All right. Do something, don't sin, but we don't step outside the ordained the ordained institution of marriage. This is okay to teach us. I know we got single folks in here, but it's not like you can't understand this. And it's good to know, at least for the future. And if it's something that you've already resigned to, uh, uh, whatever, that ship has sailed. I don't ever want to be married. Well, then praise God. You can dedicate yourself that much more to the Lord. But here it is, let's face it head on. Why wilt thou my son be ravished with a strange woman well because of the novelty of the new there's something new there i haven't known this person in the biblical sense maybe there's something maybe there's something different and better there that i don't have with my own wife it's a trap it's that old star wars meme it's a trap it's a trap Go back to verse 3, what we were talking about. She's a strange woman. It doesn't matter how sweet her lips may drop as honeycombs. It doesn't matter how smooth her mouth may be as oil. It doesn't matter what her dimensions are, her measurements are. It doesn't matter how gorgeous she may be. It's a trap. Well, the Lord brought someone else by my life. What? That's crazy. That's called someone trying to take. That's someone trying to to use the Lord as their scapegoat for their adulterous heart. The Lord didn't bring anybody by your life, if you're already married. Well, he was. He's not a good husband. He doesn't compliment me every three days or every three hours about my clothing or my hair or my looks, or or the man. The man. Well, I don't feel loved anymore. I just don't feel loved anymore by her. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't fill in the blank. I mean, there's so many different examples that are there. It may not be Camelot, it may not be a fairy tale marriage, but it's a marriage. And you guys took vows and said, I do. And you reinforce that in the language of your vows. If you took the traditional American vows, I don't know if they came from America, they're probably, you know, whatever, English vows, or what. I don't know what the origin of them were, but if you took the traditional vows about in sickness and in health, and for better or for worse, or for rich or for poor, till death do us part. And that's what marriage is. And that's why those vows are framed the way they are. It took vows... Usually in a church, and even if it wasn't in a church, it was a justice of the peace or, or whatever it was. It's a marriage, man. It's a marriage, and it's supposed to be until somebody dies, either the husband or the wife. He's saying, be satisfied in that. Okay, well, then, well, then there's, the pro- there's the problem right there, preacher. I'm not satisfied in my marriage. I love my spouse, but I'm not satisfied. And I don't know what to do with it. Well, there are experts. There are counselors. There are things like that. There are things that can be done. There are are things that can be done. There are pastors that can give counsel. Just saying. I'm not particularly in love with marriage counseling, but I've done it. A lot of times it just turns into a refereeing session between two warring factions that, that are trying to get somebody else on their side. But there's help to be had. The Word tells us, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Well, I'm not young anymore. Well, that doesn't matter. You're still married to them, Okay. Let her be as the, and see that, this lays some responsibility on her too. Let her be as the loving hind or as the pleasant roe. And so there's a little bit of responsibility on the wife too, you know, don't let yourself go. Oh, this is getting real, isn't it? Oh, this is deep. Can you move on, Pastor? Can you move on to something else? Move on to chapter 6 where he talks about surety and, and using the ant as an example of industriousness. We want to get to that stuff. This is unpleasant. Well, let's cover this. Let's nail this down, okay? And then we'll move on. And it's our intention to get into chapter 6 tonight. Let her be as the loving hind in the pleasant row. But eventually even that's going to fail. You still don't get to put her away. Okay? One person person complained, I think it was in a movie many years ago, this this was a middle-aged woman complaining about her husband's loss of interest in her. She said something about how uh, uh, everything's great until uh, her wording was, but the moment you start to show your age, they want a newer model. Like they were cars or something. Your wife's not a car. She's your wife. You don't get to trade her in. You don't get to trade up, you don't get to trade down. Praise God for that. You don't get you don't you don't get to go there. You don't get to do that. You keep what you got and be satisfied with her. And if the two of you aren't satisfied with one another, seek some help. Prayer. Pray. And you got to remember, you're supposed to love one another. Amen. And this is a little bit of that this is a little bit of that school of virtue class coming out in tonight's teaching. Okay, that, well, they're not fulfilling their biblically ordained role in the marriage. You know, she's not fulfilling her role. He's not fulfilling his role. All right. Well, they need to fulfill their roles. Yes. But all right. Well, he's fulfilling his role, but he's a tyrant. Or she's fulfilling her role, but she's bitterly resentful against me. Okay, well then what's missing, the problem isn't the word, the problem isn't the roles. The problem is there's something missing in the hearts of both people, both people in the marriage, and that thing that's missing is love. You forgot to love one another. You've forgotten to love one another. Because love is what lubricates all of that machinery. Love is what lubricates uh, and, and, and softens all of it and, and makes it not only endurable, it actually makes it quite pleasant. It's actually very, very nice when people are being what they're supposed to be as, by the, as per the word, as far as a husband and a wife, and doing what they're supposed to do, again, as far as being a husband and a wife. It can be quite nice. And love makes all of that possible. Love keeps the man, keeps the husband from being a tyrant. And a boss man. And love keeps the woman from being a bitter shrew, resentful, and hating every single hour of it. So, all right, we'll, we'll leave that and we'll, we'll move on. So he says, let her be as these things, and so on. And wilt thou, why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bos- bosom of a stranger? Don't go that route. Because, believe it or not, most things are going to be the same. But so personality is different. Well, maybe it is. But is it really worth going to hell for. I'll tell you right now, and if I may be so bold and plain in my language, the best sex in the world isn't worth two
0: minutes in hell. It isn't.
1: The most beautiful woman, the most dashing, wealthy, successful, or whatever it is that attracts men to women, the the most awesome man, the most awesome woman, the most desirable of either one of them, they're not worth two minutes in hell. They're not worth one. They're not worth it. Guard thy heart. We'll go back to chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And he concludes that saying, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of, a, of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. What's he saying? It's a warning. It's a warning tacked on to, this back end, to the back end of this teaching on being satisfied with who you have, if so be you have someone, being satisfied with him, being satisfied with her, Okay, as all gender-appropriate understandings, perspectives are considered, you know what we're saying. Not men with men, not women with women. I think we've nailed that down pretty solidly lately, haven't we? If there was any doubt. But he tacks us on to the end. God knows all the ways of man. He sees all of it. Oh, it's just going to be a one-night stand. Nobody will know. God will know. And you will know. And the person that you had the one-night stand with will know. And you want to talk about a trap. You want to talk about something that can blow up and ruin a life. So it's best to just not even go there. It's best to not even look there, let alone go there. For the ways of, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth, he thinks, and he considers all of his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked. Verse 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. And he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. What's he saying there? You get caught in that trap, you'll find yourself bound up in the cords of those sins, and maybe you'll get away, but probably you won't. It all depends on the resolve, your own resolve, and what you're willing to, which leg you're willing to chew off to get out of that trap. Because it can feel just like that. It can. It's best once more to just not go there. Don't get caught up in those cords. Don't get snared up in those cords. Such a man, he says in verse 23, shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Brothers, sisters, we'll say it again. I think we said it last week. It's better to avoid the temptation than to struggle in the snare. It's better to just avoid it altogether. Oh, but desire and temptation and want and all of that. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. But that's all the devil ever shows you. That's all he ever shows you is the flash and the glamour and the promise of it and the sleekness of it, like any billboard on the side of a highway. Pull over to the side of the highway next time you drive by one of those billboards and look at what's at the bottom of it. Trash. There's a message in that. There's a warning in that. That's not original. That 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 was a... that was almost a prophecy, a vision, a revelation that God gave to another man of God many years ago, but I never forgot it. All the devil ever shows you is the flash and the attraction. He never warns you of the consequences. He never sends that thought across your mind. When, when the beauty of a strange woman, to use Solomon's language, when the beauty of a, of a strange woman crosses your eyes and, and she looks at you with those eyes, and you can tell that there's a mutual attraction there, and she's game. The devil sends across your, sends the thought across your mind and your heart. Wouldn't you like to hook up with that? Man, check that out, man. That's some serious stuff. Why don't you get you some? But he never sends the thought, if I do that, I could destroy my family. So I'm single. I don't have a family. I'll destroy my virtue. Well, I can get my reputation back. Can you? Can you?
0: That's a hard thing to do in a town this size. It's a hard enough thing to do in a big city. Don't go. Don't go there. Look to the end. Consider what Solomon says. Her end is bitter as wormwood. Her feet go down to hell. Her steps take hold on hell. And her ways are movable.
1: So do we see it's taken us... If we include the the end of chapter four, it's taken us a part of a two and a little bit more of a third Bible study to cover this whole teaching. But that's how serious these warnings are. That's how serious these cautions, the wisdom of this is. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Next week, chapter six. My son, now he does change subjects. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, and if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger thou art snared with the words of thy mouth thou art taken with the words of thy mouth do this now my son and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy come into the hand of thy friend go humble thyself and make sure thy friend give not sleep to thine eyes nor nor slumber to thine eyelids Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. So what is that? These are are archaic words that I'm I'm reading and I don't understand what what exactly is he saying. Well, we'll clarify it a little bit and then we'll teach on it in greater depth next week if it please the Lord. He says, my son, if thou be surety for thy friend. What's that mean, surety? Cosign on a loan? Or become in some way a guarantor for someone else's financial obligation. You help somebody get a loan, and you put your own name on that thing along with theirs so that there's a backup plan if, uh, if the primary on that loan defaults. That's what it means to make yourself surety for someone else. So let's look at the whole teaching here. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if you make yourself surety for your friend, if thou hast stricken hands... With a stranger. This means you shook hands on a deal, right? You've sealed a deal. He says you're snared with the words of your mouth. You are taken with the words of your mouth. Now we're going to look into that in greater detail next week. Again, unless the Lord lets me go back to the Gospel of Matthew or wants us to go back there to some other place. We'll look into this in greater detail. Now he tells us, what to do in that first, we take this as an instruction not to get ourselves in that kind of a situation. Don't make yourself surety for someone else's debt. Because, well, the the because is obvious. What happens when your friend who obviously didn't have enough credit to get a loan on his own for a reason, defaults on his loan. They're coming after you. They're coming after you. So, well, well, I'm already in that situation. What do I do? Well, we'll look into that next week because he talks about it right here in this first paragraph of chapter six.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash dash giving